I mean, this is this is what we've, we've dreamed of for, for for 14 years, and it's here. This this is it. It's here. Yeah. I mean, it's not the final fulfillment of every dream we've ever had, but this you know this is a step on the way, and I mean, we're at it. We're there. We're on the way, and maybe we'll keep going farther from here. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, March the 26th, 2013. Doing something a little different tonight uh, for an AL East preview podcast. I'm going to hopefully talk to somebody from each of the other SB Nation baseball blogs. And up first, from... Well, he's my podcasting counterpart on OverTheMonster.com, the Red Sox blog on SB Nation. He's Matt Corey. Matt, welcome to CanvanCast. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. You know, I've meant to have somebody on from your podcast long before now. I'm finally fixing that, so hopefully uh, hopefully that's a good thing. So, Well, let's kick, so. kick, kick it right <laughs> off. How do you feel about the Red Sox going into this season? I'm sure you want to delete the last couple years from the memory banks, but do uh, you think things are turning around this year, or is it going to be more think- darkness? <laughs> uh, I think there's going to be a lot more light than the last two years, although it's a low bar to jump over. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic. Um, I mean, this isn't the you know 04, 05, 07 team. Um, it's definitely different than that. But uh, but I think there's there's a lot of promise. There's some you know some young players coming up that could uh, you know could make a difference on the team. That's always fun and exciting to watch from a fan perspective, anyway. Um, you know, and the division itself is pretty open. I, I don't see a team that, you know, despite the, the hype around the Blue Jays, I don't really see a team that's going to run away with it. So I think the Red Sox have as good a shot as, you know, as just been anybody there. That's one thing that struck me looking at the AL East. It's like there's no there's no powerhouse right now. And that's kind of exciting and terrifying at the same time because there's just so many possibilities of, of things that could happen. I mean, like, I mean, what's this week's news? You know, we're all gloating at that the Yankees are desperately trading for Vernon Wells. I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's actually happened. I'm trying not to gloat too much because I don't want to, like, have some bad karma and have him, uh, you know, pull off an MVP caliber season or something like that. But, oh, you know it's going to happen. I, he's 35 years old, and he's had two seasons in a row of a sub-300 on-base percentage, one of them uh, which was a sub-250 on-base percentage, I believe. Um, so you know he's going to hit like you know 300, 330, 540 with 40 homers or something it, crazy. It wouldn't really shock me at all. So one of the things yeah. you mentioned is a young player you were excited for. And when I was looking at, well, when I was watching the ESPN broadcast of the uh, Orioles Red Sox game the other day, those guys were really, really gushing a lot about Jackie Bradley Jr. And I'd really only heard him as a name before, and I don't really know much about him. So do you have any big thoughts about him? Do you think he's uh as much as they say he is, or is it just kind of the hype machine? Well, he's 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 kind of both. Um, he's the hype machine because he's hitting uh, 444 um, with uh, you know 667 slugging percentage this spring training. So um, so that's that's the hype, and it's spring training. I mean, he's he's looked he's looked amazing, but it's spring training. Uh, so again, it's spring training, spring training. Um, I can't say that enough. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's a, a young guy. He's, I, I think he's 23. Um, he's a outfield prospect. The Red Sox got him in the, in the first round from, uh, out of university of South Carolina. Um, I guess a year ago. Uh, and he was in, 
I guess he I guess he finished up the year in in Double A last year, um, but it was a real short like just at the very end of the year they promoted him to Double A. So I don't think anybody thought that he was going to be playing Major League ball this quickly. Okay. Um, but uh, his hitting, is, I mean, we already knew I guess going in going into spring training, we already knew that his defense was terrific. Um, he may be the best defensive uh, outfielder in the Red Sox organization, and that includes players on the major league roster um, right now. The issue is, you know, could he hit major league pitching? And based on spring training stats, um, the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah, so he's um, got an OPS of 1.190 for the spring, which, of course, spring training, who knows how many jet stream balls are in there or whatever, which at the Orioles Stadium is just kind of ridiculous. But Well, he's, I mean, I've watched as many games as I can, um, and he's looked really good. He's putting good wood on the ball. Um, you know, he's hitting line drives even, I mean, yeah, I, again, with the spring training thing, but he's, he's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting against, um, you know, he's hit against major league competition as well as minor league competition. It's not like he's racking up numbers against, um, you know, nobodies and then striking out against major league pitchers. Yeah, that would be Um, a bad, bad sign, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the issue with him is you know, roster shenanigans, uh, you know, if the Red Sox keep him up all year, they lose, uh, you know, a year of, um, you know, uh, of his, his control. So, ah, yes. The dreaded seventh year of service time. Well, not really dreaded, but you dread when they start talking players, about it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, there really is a spot on the major league roster for him right now, but if they keep him in the, uh, you know, on the major league team and he hits well, um, then they're not going to be able to send him down. I mean, you actually have to have a reason to send somebody down. It's not like you can just go, okay, now you go to AAA, even though you're hitting, you know, 300, 350, 450, and playing perfect defense. Um, right. A couple of years ago, there was that kind of agonizing with the Orioles and Zach Britton, and it ended up not mattering because Zach Britton gave them plenty of reason to send him down for a while. Right. But, uh, well, that's that's part of the concern with Bradley, I, at least on my end, is, you know, he's having an amazing spring training. He's hitting really well, um, but he's still really young. He has no at-bats above double-A and very few at double-A. Um, so I, I think there is a, you know, a non-zero chance that, um, you know, that despite the numbers that he's not actually ready, um, you know, for major league uh, pitching. But I guess if that's the case, the Red Sox can can send him down and they'll get that seventh year. Um, but I don't know. It, it seems like, like the, uh, there's an easy answer here, which is he needs to go down to triple a hang out for two weeks. And if he hits well, and there's still a need, then you bring him back up and you have him for a seventh year. Yeah. Call him up on May the first or something like that. Yeah. But, but as you said, you know, the hype train has kind of left the station at this point. Um, and you know, the manager is talking about John, John Farrell, Red Sox manager is talking about, you know, keeping him around and the Red Sox are being far more cagey than you'd expect them to be if, if they were, um, you know, the front office people are, um, than if they were just going to send him down. So, uh, I wrote about on over the monster, how they really need to, uh, I didn't say this, but basically suck it up and send him down for two weeks. But, um, I don't know that that's going to happen. We'll see. So what is the outfield going to look like if they don't bring, uh, bring up Bradley for opening day? Um, they got Ellsbury in center, uh, Victorino in right, and then there's a platoon in left of Johnny Gomes and probably Daniel Nava. Um, 
which is, I guess, a step back from the Manny Ramirez days, but, uh, you know. A little bit, I guess, huh? <laughs> well, it's hard to hard to fill those shoes. True, true, yeah. Uh, the outfield should be fine. I, I, I think the, the question with the Red Sox um, is – is their pitching? I mean, and and in, any injuries uh, too. I mean, they had just a, a ton of injuries um, last season, and and the year before too, but but more last season. And it's just really difficult to field a you know a, a full major league competitive major league team if if you're just destroyed by injuries. So if they uh, if they can stay healthy, then I think you know and get their pitching in order, then I I think there's a there's a strong chance they can win, you know, I don't know, people who, who give a specific number, it, it can be uh, a little frustrating. It's like, how do you know it's 87 instead of 88 wins? Um, but but I think I think upper 80s, maybe even low 90s is, is a reasonable expectation with, with some health. It's such a wide range of possibilities. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean. How can you zero in on one thing? It's tough. So, I mean, like, the Red Sox rotation is full of names of guys that I'm, like, afraid of, and they were bad last year. But I still haven't gotten over the fact that when I hear that name, I, like, shudder a little bit. Like John Lester <laughs> or something. You know, yeah. he wasn't great last year, but every, whenever I hear the name, it's like, ooh, John Lester. Or Clay Buckholz or something. Yeah. You know, that just Lester, like any of those guys. Or, you know, even Josh Beckett before he got traded. And, right. You know, I hear that name, and I'm like, ooh, this guy's going to destroy the Orioles. He always destroys the Orioles, but... That you know that isn't what ended up happening last year. Well, that's that's the that's the thing about the Red Sox um, pitching is it's kind of heavy in the name department and light in the production department at least over the last two years. Um, but they signed uh, Ryan Dempster, uh, who should be well. He's been above above league average for sort of a, you know a long time now. But um, but I think it's it's reasonable moving to a new team with its advanced age and um, into a harder division. That he may, uh, you know, he may be league average or just slightly above. Um, and uh, you know, if uh, if Buckholtz stays healthy, um, and I don't know that he's ever thrown 200 innings. I don't have his numbers in front of me here, but um, yeah, he had he had kind of a weird season last year where he started off really badly. He had no changeup. He couldn't find the feel in his changeup. And I think he had like a nine-run ERA after like four starts or five starts, maybe even more than that. Um, and then from then until the second to last start of his season, he was like a two-run ERA guy. Um, and then he just got destroyed on this last start in New York for no real reason I can figure out. Baseball um, reference says his inning tie was actually last year, 189 in a third. Okay, so there you and go. Yeah, he had a nine ERA after six starts and eventually brought that down to a 4.56. So that's, that's a pretty steady improvement through the year there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lester was kind of the opposite. Um, he kind of he started out okay, um, and just got progressively worse until at, I think it was June or July twenty second in Toronto, and he gave up four home runs and it was like nine runs in four innings. Um, his first pitch of that that game was hit for a home run. He gave up back to back home runs. Um, Rajay Davis hit a home run against him. It was bad, um, and. Uh, Things got a little better after that, but basically they, they've sort of they're working on rehauling his is rehauling a word, overhauling his mechanics. Um, and I just wrote about this last night actually on on over the monster, which is why I have that July twenty second date in my head. Um, but yeah, without boring you with the specifics, he, he's he's trying to change his mechanics um, back to uh, what what worked for them before, and 
based on spring training results, um, he's he's had a lot of success. I think he's thrown 20 innings and given up two runs, struck out 16 guys and walked like three or two, something like that. Um, Big move so in the right looked, direction there, for sure. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's looked really good. Um, he no-hit the Rays for six innings. He looked really good in, in spring training. His mechanics, um, you, you can see um, a difference between this year and last year. Um, in, in the way that he holds his body and angles himself while he's throwing the ball, but um, so I'm optimistic that that he can he can be that guy again. Um, but you know, until he starts doing it in the regular season, who the heck knows? So on the general subject of Red Sox pitchers, how is it that Alfredo Aceves is back? I don't. No, that's a good question. It's, I, I, it's that's one, the one thing I don't understand when I look at the <laughs> roster. It's like he was so bad and he had such an attitude. I was like, why? Why? I mean, I I can give you the. The answer is that um, – because I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, I, but um, the answer is because the Red Sox don't really have a long guy, um, and they've had so many injuries. I mean they're really kind of gun-shy about, about injuries. Um, and so, yeah, Aceves can sit in the, in the bullpen and pitch you know, once every um, you know, fourth game or something, and then if somebody goes down with an injury and misses a start, he can come in and start. So he's going to be the long man slash swing starter as opposed to the closer. This, this oh, year, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe he's, not maybe he's better cast in that role. He's not going to be in the eighth or eighth or ninth inning unless there are injuries. Um, I mean, the Red Sox have ostensibly two closers. They still have Andrew Bailey, although there's talk of trading him. But they still have him, and he is healthy and has been decent in spring training. Um, and they traded for Joel Hanrahan from the Pirates um, this off season as well. So um, and you guys got Koji Uehara, who has closer experience with the Orioles, yes, our old friend. Have, yeah, we have Yohara, who's who's uh, just awesome to watch, and uh, Junichi Tazawa, um, who uh, uh, Theo Epstein brought over from from Japan um, a number of years ago, and he had he had Tommy John surgery and came back last year throwing like four or five miles an hour harder. He throws upper nineties now, and uh, I forget how, how many innings did he throw last year. Um, hold yeah, on, baseball sorry. reference says forty four innings for Tazawa last year, uh, and how many strikeouts? Forty-five. There you that go. That doesn't suck. No, it doesn't. He he was he was really good. He was the best reliever I think in the pen last year. One forty-three so ERA for Tazawa over those they forty-four have a innings. Pretty decent yeah. decent bullpen. Um, so that's why you know I think they could they could stash uh, Aceves back there as a um, you know emergency break glass kind of guy um, and uh, not pay for it too much. But but then again, you know, if he's going to continue to act out, maybe they'll uh, just dump him. The problem with dumping him is um, they have uh, Franklin Morales, who is supposed to be their kind of sixth starter, but he's got uh, back problems. Um, and as you know, um, back problems are always easy for pitchers to overcome. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's problematic. So they kind of need somebody to, to, to be at the ready because uh, it's unclear when uh, when Morales is going to – going to come back so he's your insurance there i guess you're, yeah. you're kind of in trouble a little bit if, if alfredo Aceves is your insurance for anything but you know maybe he's better in that role or maybe he just really hated bobby valentine and he'll uh, do better without bobby valentine i don't know i i think that maybe could be said of just about everybody well there you go so what what do you think a new manager farrell compared to the valentine regime obviously anybody's going to look good compared to valentine's last year I'm just curious if he has uh, struck you in any positive way or just whatever you've seen from him, heard him so far. Um, 
I think it's pretty encouraging. I mean, when you, uh, I don't know, from, from a fan standpoint, anytime any manager who is like, you know, in-game managing is always easy to second guess and, and be upset by, right? So, um, but so far, uh, I think Farrell has, has done a great job. Um, he's, he's worked on overhauling, you know, Lester's mechanics. Um, and if they get Lester, you know, from a, a five-run ERA guy to a three-and-a-half or whatever, that's, that's worth hiring him right there. Um, and, uh, sorry, there's construction out here now. It's all good. <laughs> um, geez, that's loud. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, and there's been, uh, there's been no drama, uh, in Red Sox camp, which is different than last year. Um, when Valentine called out Kevin Euclid at the beginning, got into an argument with Mike Avilas, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Dustin Pedroia um, pretty much never liked Bobby V either. Is that correct? I don't know. I think I think if the Red Sox had won, Pedroia would have been fine with it. Yeah. It's it's uh it's one thing to put up with drama if you're winning. It's another to put up with drama if you're losing. Um, so I, I yeah I, I think things got a little out of hand last year. Um, probably on on both sides of the fence, you know, the managers and the players. Um, but uh, that's all done with, and uh, I don't know that Farrell's going to be like the greatest manager ever, but I think he's competent i think he uh you know he knows the players on the team i mean he was just there two years ago and uh he's he's not uh he's not all about himself he's not uh he's he's gonna try to minimize drama instead of maximizing it (laughs) i guess and and in boston i think that's that's really important um and that's something the red sox probably should have paid attention to when they hired valentine yeah you know it's not like the boston media is going to take it lightly on anybody at least that's their reputation for whatever reason, I think well, it's, probably because it's, that's I what think they it's do. Probably, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty deserved. I mean, the, you know, Red Sox fans are are a fervent bunch, um, and uh, you know, we uh, we follow the team closely. Uh, this is not to say that other other fans don't, um, but I'm just just speaking about Red Sox fans. Um, and you know, there's a bunch of different newspapers that cover the team. There's a bunch of different Red Sox blogs um, that cover the team, and it's it's really easy to turn something small into um, into a big thing, and if you're not on the lookout for it, and you're not uh, you're not you're not vigilant about it, then then you will. That that's what'll happen. Like just for instance, uh, having your manager say it's like the least talented September roster he's ever had, or whatever that quote was from Valentine towards the end of last year. Yeah, and you could just see it was like a cry for help. Like he wanted to be fired. It it kind of seemed like that at the end. I. I don't know. I don't know that anyone really wants to get fired, but he wanted to um, be released from his torment, <laughs> just unshackled from um, that. It was it was an odd comment, but honestly, it was an odd comment in a, a year that featured many, 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 many odd comments, and so yeah, that's fair enough. You know, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> um, the Red Sox are you know Valentine's in a better place now. He's in Connecticut, and uh, the Red Sox are in a better place now with uh, with Farrell. Um, and uh, w- one thing that's that I think the Red Sox have sort of refocused on, based on on last year, and and I guess the year before as well, um, is bringing in character guys. Uh, you know, they they did uh, a fair amount of shopping on the free agent market this off season, um, and I think uh, I think bringing in character guys was a, was a huge component of that. And I haven't heard a lot of people say that, but um, Gomes and Victorino and Dempster and uh, Napoli and uh, Uehara and 
I may be forgetting. So, oh, uh, Hanrahan and all, all the guys they, they brought in, Stephen Drew even, um, or are guys who are supposedly good clubhouse guys. Um, and I don't I don't think that was by accident. I'm I'm certain that was by design. It's easy to kind of laugh that kind of stuff off, but certainly teams believe in that a lot. I mean, you, you'll know you'll hear like Duquette and Showalter talk about those kind of guys. Well, they don't want to bring in the wrong kind of guys down here, and I just always find that interesting because it seems like, you know, kind of the internet fan writer community just like laughs when they hear somebody's quote unquote a clubhouse guy because it probably means he sucks. <laughs> you know, the you know that's the kind of stuff that actual baseball players and teams believe in. So I I always find that interesting when I hear so much about well, that. It is interesting. I I think just because. I mean, I consider myself, even though I'm not like a mathematician, I consider myself, you know, a stats guy. I, I write write a baseball prospectus in addition to over the monster, and um, you know, I, I follow all the, all that. You know, I think if you write for baseball prospectus, you're kind of by default a stats guy in the eyes of the world. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. Um, but uh, but I, I think that I think it's likely that there is something to you know the, the whole clubhouse chemistry argument. Um, I wouldn't doubt that, you know, that it's overstated by, um, you know, by, by the, uh, the baseball players and, and, and manager set, but I think it might be understated by, by the analytic community. Um, I, I don't know how to put a value on it, you know, and I think that's, that's all, you know, I think that's the problem from the statistical, um, you know, analysis, uh, outlook, um, yeah, just because you don't can't measure it. something doesn't mean it's not there. Exactly, exactly. Thank you. That's that's what I was attempting to spit out. <laughs> um, so I, I think uh, I, I think there is something to it. I, I don't know that because the Red Sox are, are happy and all like to play the same music in the clubhouse um, means that they're going to win 95 games. But, um, you know, I, I think it's probably worth something. Yeah, and it, probably what it means is there won't be as much sniping if there's a rough stretch or anything like that. And, you know, it's, you can't really quantify that kind of stuff. But as Yogi Berra always like to say, 90% of baseball is half mental, and that's in your that's in your <laughs> 90% there, I think. The half well mental said, 90%, sir. whatever. Yeah. I'm always, I always feel like I'm going to get in trouble when I do that quote. I'm going to get it wrong, but, you know. There's no way to get it right. That's kind of the, the yeah, joke of the I, quote. That's right? a good point. So David Ortiz, are you worried about his injury situation, or do you think he's going to be all right? Uh, both. Um, I am worried. It wouldn't shock me if he missed a month, two months, three months of the season. I don't have any inside knowledge to say that's the case. Um, you know, all you hear from the Red Sox and all you've heard since the day he got hurt is that he's getting better and he's fine and he'll be he'll be here shortly. Yeah, but that's uh, what they always say, right? It's never you never hear the worst of it immediately. Not, not usually, and, and and if you do, it's it's because like the the bone was protruding from the skin on the field. Right, it's like, so bad that they can't possibly uh, hide yeah. it. Um, so I I think um, I, I think Ortiz will be back at some point this year. Um, I don't I have no idea how he's going to hit. I don't really know, you know, the the biomedical uh, um, you know issues involved, like how it pertains to hitting, having a you know having the issue that he has. Um, which I think is a hamstring, but I'm forgetting. Um, oh, it's, I think it's his Achilles. Um, anyway, uh, so I, I think he'll be back at some point, and I think he'll be a very good hitter um, when he does come back. But when that will be, I 
don't know. And how long he's able to stay healthy is another issue. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, he came back last year after he'd gotten hurt. Um, yeah, it's low. It's his, uh, his Achilles, his lower right leg. Um, uh, he came back for one game. He had two hits and then he went right back on the disabled list and didn't play anymore. Oh. So I, I think if he can stand in a batter's box and lightly jog to first base, he's going to be an effective hitter. Um, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's silly to say for a guy as old as he is with, with the injury problems he has. Um, well, see, I've been waiting for Ortiz to get old for like four years now, and he has had a better <laughs> year each of the last four years than the year before. So, you know, who knows? Of course, I've been waiting for that for the whole Yankees team for like five years too, and this is finally the year where it's like all crashing down on them so far. Knock on wood. Yeah. No, I I, I think every year, you know, the I mean, it's more than just the analytical community. The entire baseball community just waits for the Yankees to fall apart because they're just always so old but they just never seem to and now they seem like they're all falling apart at the same time but um my guess is they'll get healthy and they'll uh, they'll have a you know their typical yankee productive year although the vernon wells thing is kind of funny see i expect uh, them to, to do the yankee thing and succeed despite it anyway because they're the yankees and that's just what they do yeah if that they doesn't have, happen i will be pleasantly surprised yeah i'm with you i'm with you but yeah i did you know to answer your, your question about ortiz i I think he'll be there at some point, and I think he'll be productive when when he's there. And uh, when that would be, I don't have the first clue. Get ominous calling in the background there. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm back out on my porch now. I went I went inside to uh, to hide from the uh, the noises out here on my the porch. The name but... of the Yankees, and now the dark birds are like gathering <laughs> the the carrion or swarming <laughs> feast on. Well, you could also say it's the Baltimore thing, right? The the uh, the Raven. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe yeah. that's a positive sign for Baltimore. I don't know. So David Ortiz, I knew he did well when he played last year, but I, I just looked at his stats and it kind of popped my eyes that he slugged six eleven. He was, I don't know if he was the best hitter when he got hurt in in baseball, but he, if he wasn't the best at that point, he was the second best, or maybe even the third. But he was, I mean, he was just amazing. Um, he was hitting the ball the other way. I mean. So, you know, for years now, managers have been shifting against him pretty effectively. Um, you know, famously, Joe Madden just puts everybody on one side of the infield and says, OK, if you can hit the ball to the left side, then you win. And he doesn't do it. Um, well, last year he was doing it. Um, he cut down on his strikeouts. He continued to walk. He hit for power to off fields. I mean, it was it was pretty sick. And then, then he got hurt. And that was that. Um, so I don't know that we'll see that same guy again. And it's kind of a shame that he got hurt last year because I would have loved to see what his final numbers looked like um, if he'd been able to stay healthy. But um, I don't know. But if the Red Sox can get 110 games out of him this year, I, I think that'll uh, I think that'll be terrific. That's one fewer question mark in in, in your lineup if you uh, have Ortiz in there. Well, totally, totally. Well, that's that's kind of getting back to the Bradley thing. Is if they have Bradley playing left field, then Gomes can DH. And Nava can DH occasionally, and you know whatever. So um, they uh, that 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 you know that sort of in theory closes that that gap uh, at least a little. Um, but who knows? We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Ortiz is definitely going to open the year on the on the disabled list. Um, so they'll have they'll have to do something. So where does your heart tell you the Red Sox are going to end up in the American League East at this moment, as as best you can? guess um, you can even guess i'll say 
87.3 wins. No, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to end up uh, second or third. Um, I think if Toronto is able to stay healthy and – I mean, they have a lot of questions associated with, with their the players they acquired. Um, and they just sent – just today, um, Tuesday, they sent um, Ricky Romero, who was supposed to be one of their top five starters, down to single A. Um, yeah, he looked so, so bad in the spring. I, I did read a bunch about that, so – you know, who knows what yeah. that means for the Blue Jays? But they seem to be the trendy pick right now. Yeah, they've got. I mean, they've they've got a lot of big names, and they've got some guys who, yeah. So I, they've got a lot of big names, and, and they've got I think some questions associated with those names. I don't want to see um, R.A. Dickey more often, for instance. No, so he completely destroyed the Orioles when they played him last year, and then they were doing the whole narrative of, oh well, the knuckleball ruins guys for like a week. Like, come on, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean I'll have to hear that like once a month. Yes, you will. Now. You will. And if and if the Orioles happen to go on a uh, you know a, a, get getting a, a slump for a little while after facing him, then then of course that'll be attributed to that. Right, they'll launch uh, that story again. I'm dreading yeah. it already. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I think second or third place, uh, depending on how good the Blue Jays are, um, how bad the uh, Yankees' injury problems are. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many variables. Um, I mean, I could even see a scenario where they finish first and if they get crushed by injuries again, you know, and the, and the Orioles, uh, you know, Dylan Bundy comes up and Kevin Gossman comes up. I mean, I'm excited for Gossman personally. He's, is he, he's really tall, isn't he? He's six, four, I think maybe six, okay. three. Um, for some reason I had six, six in my head. Not that tall. Oh. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, anyway, so I, I think there's a lot of variables for all the teams. I think it, it makes pinning it down really, really difficult. I know I'm a terrible podcast guest for not giving you a specific answer. Oh, that's okay. I if I only embarrass myself when I give specifics on this podcast, so I wouldn't ever try to pin anybody else down. I famously <laughs> predicted the Orioles would win 70 games last year, so uh, I, I think as far as credibility, I have about zero. Oh well, you and me, you and me both. Yeah, I, hardly I was the only one who was that far wrong about the Orioles. But uh, no, I think everybody got the Orioles wrong last year. Yeah, that was part of the fun, I suppose. <laughs> for you guys, anyway. Yeah, well, I suppose that's true. So we're just about out of time for this segment. Time always flies when you're podcasting, as Matt and I were talking about before we started recording. So Matt, do you have a Twitter you would like to plug if you, uh, if any, if any of our listeners would like to get your Red Sox perspective? Sure. Um, it's at Matty Matty 2000, uh, M-A-T-T-Y, M-A-T-T-Y 2000. Um, and I, I do the Over the Monster podcast um, with Mark Normandon, and that comes out roughly once a week. Um, and I do a podcast um, with another guy from Baseball Perspectives, Jason Wojciechowski. Um, that's called the Back of the Bullpen podcast, and we do that once a week as well. You can search for that in iTunes. So, yeah, that's that's uh, mostly mostly what I do. Well, there you go. So if any of our Orioles listeners want to track down Matt, you can find him on OverTheMonster.com or those other places. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hopefully I can get you on later in the year. We'll see. Uh, I don't know when the Orioles play the Red Sox. but Probably a lot, but uh, thanks for having me on, Mark. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Right. Well, thanks for coming on. And CamdenCast listeners, we'll be right back. I actually don't know who we'll be back with. It's going to be a mystery to you as well as me. Uh, I'll find out in a couple of days. You'll find out on Friday. That's all for now. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you'd like to hear from us between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Andrew is at Gibson Andrew, and I am at EatMoreSK. 
B-E-S-S-K-A-Y, just like the hot dogs. And now, back to the show. And we are back on Camden Cast. It's been about 30 seconds for you. It's been about 48 hours for me. Time's kind of funny like that. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I am now joined by a correspondent from our SB Nation Blue Jays blog, bluebirdbanter.com. He is Tom Dakers. Tom, welcome to Camden Cast. Thanks. How is it going this evening? Oh, it's, life is good right now. Yeah, I would imagine life is good for a Blue Jays fan, too, because you have had the most exciting offseason in a positive way of any of the AL East teams. Yeah, it's been it's been great. It's like from the oh, end of the cold. season till till uh, till Christmas. There, everything every every few days we seem to get a new present. It was that was amazingly fun. It's like a it's like a completely new transformed Blue Jays team. I will hardly even recognize them out there, other than guys like I don't know, Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion. It's gonna be like. All kinds of new people. I mean, that's got to be pretty fun. It is. It's going to be great for program sales, isn't it? It's just going to be wonderful. <laughs> uh, we needed it. It was, you know, the last few years they've been they've been trying to build up from the bottom. They've been building the farm system. They've been doing everything right, but it was always seemed like it was going to be two or three years away, two or three years away. And every year. Even though another year has passed, it doesn't seem like it was getting any closer. Yeah, that sure sounds pretty familiar to me. <laughs> the perpetual rebuilding kind of thing going on. Yeah. And uh, they never really seem to build something out of the perpetual rebuilding. Well, in, until this year, I didn't think we could make a you know win-now trade. I didn't think we could do anything that was you know, designed to win this year. Every trade, every move they made seemed to be designed to win some sometime in the future. Yes, we're going to be great. You know, just wait six years, you know. And I, I was starting to get impatient that we ought to, every now and then, even if we, you know, keep making the trades to build the farm system and all that, once in a while, just something for us for now to, to make us smile. But then this this off season came, so I'm not complaining about that. And then anymore. the Miami Marlins came along. <laughs> my favorite team, my favorite National League team now. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, they traded for every every player they had that was making above the major league minimum. So did any did any of your like kind of obscure fan favorites get traded over to the Marlins, or was it like pretty much nobody that you actually cared about? Uh, yeah, no, you know, I, I, I always liked, you know, Escobar, he had a rough year last year and did things he probably shouldn't have and all that, but I always liked him, you know, he, he always played with a smile on his face, he was always seemed happy, and I thought, if I was making money doing this, I would be, uh, I, I would, I would be happy, you know, if you paid me five million dollars a year to play baseball, I'd be a happy guy. I'd say, I'd, I'd say I would be too. And they also traded one of my favorite kind of prospects. He wasn't at the top of the prospect list, but uh, a center fielder, Jake Marzenich, who I always, he's one that I thought was going to be really good. And, of course, he got thrown into this trade. So 
it, it it'll work out great for him because you know he'll get to the majors a lot faster in, in uh, Florida than he would here. So. Well, yeah, that's the price you got to pay to get back what you got back, I guess. Yep. So who and, uh, who excites you the most out of all the new acquisitions, trade and free agent signings? Because obviously you got the whole Melky Cabrera story will uh, have its next chapter unfold in Toronto. Yeah, I'm very curious about what happens to him. Um, probably the one that excites me the most is uh, Jose Reyes because they did the uh, press conference with him. Um, he just vibrates. He just seems to. He couldn't. He couldn't sit still. He was just, you know, there seemed to be like there was so much energy built up for him. And then we watched him in the World Baseball Classic there, and he was, he was just amazing. He was, he was great. I don't know if he'll be able to continue that with the Blue Jays, but he just seemed, he, he seemed far better than I expected him to be. Uh, so, so he's probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. Watching R.A. Dickey throw a knuckleball too—that's, I don't. We haven't had a knuckleball pitcher with the Blue Jays since, I think we we had uh, we had Tom Candiotti for a year or so when he threw a knuckleball, but we haven't had one for years now. I am not looking forward to seeing the Orioles facing the R.A. Dickey knuckleball more regularly. <laughs> yeah, that should be fun for us. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do very well against it last year, and uh, I I don't know that they'll do any better if they get more looks at it this year. It's... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a pitch that you learn how to hit if you see it more often or not. I... It seems to me like it's just kind of maybe dumb luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm really, and he's he seems like such an interesting guy too. He uh, well, they did a press conference when he was here. And I could I could see the uh, sports writers mentally, you know, trying to remember their uh, college uh, psychology courses and uh, and uh, you know thinking about looking through the dictionary to figure out what it was that he just said and things like that. He's he's a very bright guy. It's funny. He's like he's on a level above the sports writing uh, people, huh? Yeah, one of, one of the sports writers said that every time he leaves from talking to R.A. Dickey, he has a headache. And he said, you know, normally when you talk to a player, they're, I don't want to say they're not bright, but they're, you know, they're not at the level that the sports writers are at. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. The pool of baseball players is guys that came out of high school and didn't go to college or they didn't finish college, and that's why they're baseball players. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it works. It worked for them. R.A. Dickey, that's funny. Is is above all that. Yeah, he's uh, he's 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 really interesting to listen to. He does. He has an autobiography out, and it's it's quite an interesting read. Right, he, he really that, has a great personal story. I don't know the full details, but I know his. Uh, you know, he had quite a life story to get even where he got to begin with. Yeah, yeah, it's a really it is an interesting story. So. And of course, the book ends just when he's coming to his own on the knuckleball. He did explain one of one of my little thoughts for years has been every team should have a knuckleball pitcher coming up. You know, why why don't you get one of your minor leaguers who's not going to make it and teach them the knuckleball? But 
reading about Ari Dickey, it took like six or seven years for him to get it. Right. His pretty much the first year he ever had a good year was when he was thirty-five. So yeah, you know, of yeah. course, knuckleballs, knuckleballers, kind of age differently, I guess, because it's uh, you know you can don't have to worry about sustaining your fastball velocity as your body's getting older or whatever, but still. That's that's right. I had a whole bunch of notes on my Twitter feed. Why are they training for a 38-year-old pitcher? It's in 38 years old. That's prime for a knuckleball. Right? Right in knuckleball years, you might as well be, I don't know, 28 or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see how he does. R.A. Dickey is actually probably one of my favorite non-Orioles. I don't know if he'll still be after I've seen him face him regularly, but uh, he's just such a huge nerd, and they would write stories about how like he would name his bats or Chris after the sword from the Hobbit, and like his walk-up music for at bats was—I forget whether he—one of his warm-up music and walk-up music. One was the Imperial March from uh, Empire Strikes Back, and one was the theme song, uh, the th- main theme music from the Game of Thrones TV show. I forget which is which, but uh, he warmed up to one of those and used the other as his at bat music. And well, you know, I'm a big nerd myself. No shock to anybody that's a Camden Cast <laughs> listener. So uh, you know, just just seeing such an unapologetic nerd as a baseball player just really oh, continually tickles me. Well, he kind of gets. Uh, he kind of takes. We had Dirk Hayhurst for a little bit there. And, and he's one and of your that, radio broadcast guys now. Is that correct? The Garfus. Oh, yeah. And he's he's a nerd. He's he's way out there in nerdland and. And uh, so you know, it kind of they're kind of on a they're on their own plane those two, which is which is cool. I actually read Dirk Hayhurst's two books over the off season, and uh, he was a pretty hilarious character, also. He was his first. I really loved his first book. His second book, for me, there was too much. Woe was me. You know, he gets to the major leagues and he's still depressed, and I'm kind of, oh, you know, <laughs> let me. <laughs> if I'll trade. For anybody out there who hasn't read, the, Dirk Hayhurst had a book called The Bullpen Gospels, A Non-Prospect's Pursuit of the Major Leagues, and it's just really fun. It's just, he was kind of, what, maybe like 27 and still grinding his way through high A ball or something like that, and... And he wrote a book about that year, and it's it's pretty cool. So if you're out there and you haven't read it, I would definitely recommend it. It's probably the best baseball book I've read in, in years. It's, it, and the other it's one just so is, funny, and he just is like unafraid to share these just completely out there minor league stories. Fortunately, he changes all the names. So yeah, I got a kick out of it. But he does change the names to protect the guilty, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> He's he's got he's got one more coming for from when he uh, from his time with the Blue Jays, so I'm very curious about that. All right. Well, I will look forward to that. And now he gets to be a radio broadcaster, so I'd say he's made out okay. And he's a good radio broadcaster, so. Well, there you go. So all right. So back to the new Blue Jays. Who <laughs> running through some of the other guys? I guess you got what Josh Johnson and now Mark Burley will both be in the rotation. I mean, that's quite an overhaul. It is. We needed it. Last year, you know, we had three three pitchers go down with major injuries the same week. Like, I was at, it was four games, we had three starting pitchers injured. I was at the four games, and it was like, you know, the movie Groundhog Day. It was just like that, you know? The guy throws 
half a dozen pitches. He grabs his arm. The trainer and the manager come come out and they walk him back to the walk him back to the dugout. And then the next day, same thing. One of them one of them wasn't an arm injury. One was a uh, oblique injury. But two two the two pitchers had Tommy John surgery within a month, and of course that effectively ended the season. Right. And since two of them won't pitch this year or not until the very end of this year, they really needed more starting pitch. So that was, and we, when the Marlins trade was, we were starting to get hints about it. It was just Josh Johnson and the Jays had been interested in Josh Johnson for a few years. You know, they'd been trying to get him. And then, uh, of course, we got so much more, but that's great. And, of course, Josh Johnson being a pitcher with his own injury history, that was probably just hearing his name. You were like, oh, man, here we go again. Yeah, I'm not so worried. He's been through it. I'm hoping it's done, you know. Of course, we do have uh, one of the pitchers that was hurt last year is uh, Kyle Drabeck, and he's on his second Tommy John surgery, so I guess I shouldn't be so so assured that it's over but normally it only happens once so we'll we'll hope and uh and now you don't have to count on ricky romero anymore or ricky what happened to him like he was supposed to be you know turning it around and now they demoted him to like a ball or something like that i think he's gonna be starting at high a in uh at dunedin florida he, you know, like about a week ago, they said, oh, we're going to change his delivery. We're going to move him. They said he had, over the years, had drifted to the far, like, uh, left-hand, first base side of the, of the rubber. And they said, oh, we're going to move him to the center of the rubber so that everything's in a straight line to the plate. Okay. And they, they announced this, yeah, about a week ago. And said, "Oh, it's going to be no problem to fix this in the two weeks we have left before opening day." Yeah, and sure. Looking at my watch and thinking how much time there is, and oh yeah, we're going. And then he had a a start, a minor league start, a minor league spring start, and it went awful. He pitched. I think he it, he was supposed to pitch four innings, but you know those minor league spring games. They can end an inning whenever they feel like it. Right, eh? So right. he, never, he never completed an inning. Uh, he 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 gave up like I don't know how many walks, like eight walks in this uh, four two out innings things he did. Uh, he, you know he was beaten up by a Triple A team, and not not a real Triple A team, but the guys that were pretending to be triple-A players until the real triple-A players got demoted. Right. And then, uh, so that was the first time with the new new uh, delivery. And then uh, just, yeah, a couple of days ago, he, he pitched a major league uh, spring start, and and we were kind of, they, they told us beforehand, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, whatever happens, happens. And it was better, but he still gave up like four walks and four and a third innings, and it wasn't good. And then soon after the game, they 
they announced, oh, he's he's gone to the miners. I do feel sorry for him. And they started this change over too late. And, it's, I mean, it was silly to do it. Yeah, you'd think that's maybe the kind of thing they could have figured out, you know, as soon as spring training started or even at the end of last season or something. Yeah, actually, the pitching coach said something about, oh, we wanted to do this with him at the end of last season. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, why did you wait till now? You know, just seems, even from an outsider point of view, it seems seems like, oh, I would have thought that if you're going to make a change, you got to do it at the start of spring training. Yeah. But now he's down in the minors, and the, apparently they chose a ball for him because it's in Florida. Their AAA team's in Buffalo. Oh, okay, so it's not like... That's why they, they demoted him, because he was so bad he needed to be in A-ball, just kind of logistical. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's more weather that they want him to be able to work at this every day. And, uh, of course, in Buffalo, well, you never know if he'll be working at it every day or if he'll have to be inside for two weeks. All right, well, there you go. That makes sense. So that's not as bad as I thought at first. Yeah, still not fun, and he's he's not happy. Yeah, I, I would think not. Of course, he still gets paid like a major leaguer regardless, I guess. Yeah. But it's got to be kind of a bruise to the old ego there. Yeah, they signed him to a pretty good contract before the start of last year. So, I mean, the year before he was in the All-Star game, he had an ERA under three. He won like 16 games. He was really good. And then last year, he, you know, up to midseason, he was, his one loss record was okay, but it's just because we were scoring. And then... The second half of the year, he didn't have a win. He did have one good month. In August, he pitched well. He had an ERA in the mid-threes. He did all right, but that was about it. Ah. Yeah, then, in 2011, it looks like he had a 292 ERA and threw 225 innings. And then in 2012, he had a 577 ERA and threw 181 innings. So that's quite a tough, tough bounce there. And he led the major leagues in walks with 105. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. Of walks. Yep. Yeah. He seemed to be he seemed to be nibbling for the edges, and then when that didn't work, he'd throw one down the middle. And you know, when that didn't work, they had to give him a new ball. Right. That one landed in the seats for a souvenir, huh? Yep. Yeah. That was his season. Oh well, that'll do it. Well, so you don't have to worry about him at the major league on the major league roster, but uh. I don't know. What's the one thing that maybe kind of scares you the most about the upcoming season for the Jays? <sighs> scares me the most? I'm, you know, I'm really happy about just about everything. Um, we can't have the same number of injuries we did last year. You know, like no team can handle that. But we are deeper than last year. But uh, what scares me the most? Um, Probably both the two guys that are in the running for closer, which is Sergio Santos and Casey Jansen, they've both had a little bit of arm trouble during the spring. Um, they're both going to start the season with the team, but you know how it is. You know, until they actually throw a bit during the season, I'm going to worry that you know they're not quite right. Right. Um, and there's a couple of guys at the back end of the bullpen the a couple a couple of the like I like I like Casey Jansen and Sergio Santos I think they'll be fine as long as they're healthy they've got uh Darren Oliver who was great last year they the have, ageless wonder Darren Oliver yeah still going he strong was, 
He was going to retire until they made those trades, eh? He was he was not happy. Worth sticking around uh, for one more year after that, I guess. Yeah, five million bucks to pitch, you know, an inning here and there. I could do it, but but uh, yeah, he's great. And there's but um, some of the guys they've got uh, uh, Brett Cecil, who was a starter for us a couple of years ago. They put him in Brett Cecil. Sorry? Maryland's own. He went to the University of Maryland, and he's from Maryland also. That's right. And uh, he he didn't have the best of springs. Um, one of the other guys that's looked at to be a long reliever is Jeremy Jeff uh, Jeremy Jeffress. And he didn't have a great spring either. Um, so there's some guys, you know, the middle relief guys... There's a little bit of question. I think they'll be okay, but they'll have to show it to me. Well, that's fair enough. Maybe maybe that'll work out okay. As as being an Orioles fan, I can tell you sometimes your uh, your good bullpen shows up completely unexpectedly out of nowhere. I'm pretty much like crossing my fingers and praying they can have a second straight great year, which of course the whole bullpen volatility uh, thing means I'm worried about that because it's like well. They can't possibly be as good as they were last year. It just doesn't seem like that's a thing that could happen. But <laughs> you never know. Maybe this is your year to swing and suddenly have a good bullpen. And hopefully it's not the Orioles' year to swing back to not having a good bullpen. I don't know. I'd be okay if we both made the playoffs, you know? That would, I, that be, would be pretty good. Because as long as it's not the – I almost said a bad word. Sorry. Uh-oh. As long as it's not the Yankees or the Red Sox, I'm happy. Yeah, I would have to say if the Blue Jays and the Orioles made the playoffs, that would be the best because that probably means neither the Yankees nor the Red Sox did. That would be really yeah. cool. Of course, I guess with the second wild card, it's theoretically possible to have uh, two AL East wild card teams, but I don't, I don't expect that to happen. It would be hard though, I think, because all the teams, well, all the teams are fairly good. Although I'm going to enjoy if the Yankees, if the Yankees just lose like a hundred games, I, that'll be. I don't even. Even, you know, I wouldn't even mind the Blue Jays not making the playoffs if the Yankees were to lose 100 games. I would also really enjoy the Yankees losing 100 (laughs) games. I don't expect that to happen, but man, that'd be pretty cool. Because the Yankees are all old Blue Jays right now. They traded for Vernon Wells. They have have a whole bunch of the guys. Wow, Overbay is going to be their first baseman, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I chuckled for (laughs) forever. I thought the Vernon Wells thing was an early uh, April Fool's joke. I really did. I thought, no, nobody would trade for Vernon Wells again. Second time the untradeable contract has been traded. Yeah. Baseball is a funny thing. It is. All right, so which of the other teams in the AL East scares you for the Blue Jays as far as competitors? Well, Orioles. standing in your way. Oh, now you're just kissing up to us. Yeah, just a little. No, they're, you know, I think you're as good as anybody. I heard somebody say that every team in the AL East could win 85 games, and I don't believe it. If the Yankees win 85 games, there's some witchcraft going on. Well, I would never discount the possibility of the Yankees and Black Magic, personally. <laughs> yeah, we were making fun of uh, of them signing, getting Vernon Wells, and then somebody sent me a message saying, you know what, he could actually come back and be good. Yeah, and then I'll have to shoot myself. That's all there is to it. Um, but the, I think the the Rays are still going to be a good team. 
it's kind of funny looking at them and seeing our middle infield sitting there because they have Yanel Escobar at short and Kelly Johnson at second base, and that did not go well for us last year. So familiar, I'm, familiar story for you there, huh? Yeah. Yep. That's the third team that they've been the middle infield for. So. Wow. I, <laughs> so it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, they were uh, they were Braves together and Blue Jays together, and now Rays together. See, I didn't know they were both on the Braves. That uh, Braves, excuse me. That's interesting. <laughs> People are going to start talking soon. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they uh, work really well together. I don't know. <laughs> Not last year. No? Well, uh, good luck to the Rays with all that then, I guess. We're better yet, bad luck. <laughs> that's one less team in the way. I, I, I'm sort of worried about the Red Sox just because when uh, uh, John Farrell left, it was... So ugly, and I really couldn't take it if you know the Red Sox did well with him as manager because it was just such a. When your manager leaves you and says, uh, "Oh, he wanted to leave you last year to get this job, but they wouldn't let him leave, and now they let him leave this year, and this is his dream job, and they talk so much about how wonderful it is to be a Red Sox." Yeah. Kind of want to hurt him. Yeah, wouldn't mind it if he lost a hundred games either. I guess, huh? Yeah, if they win, if they don't win any games at all, I'm really would be quite pleased. And <laughs> well, they have yeah. their own injury things to worry about, and who knows what's going to go on with their rotation getting better. So maybe, maybe we will yet get our wish. Oh, I hope so. About that. But if you, uh, if you had to, um, and obviously I'm not going to super hold you to anything, but just where do you feel right now you like the Blue Jays to finish in the AL East? I mean... They've got to be a contender. There's no way they can't be a contender. I think... I really think they should win 90 games. I I think they should be in the race to the end. The magic number 90, huh? Yeah, I, I really think they should. You know, last year, until the injuries, they were about a 500 club, eh? And then the injuries hit and, you know, went to hell. But really, they're building on a 500 club. And they've had, they fixed all the holes. Like last year, left field was awful. This year, they got Melky Cabrera. Last year, shortstop and second base were awful. Well, we got uh, Jose Reyes. And we'll have probably uh, <clears throat> um, Emilio uh, Bonifacio or Macer, uh What's the guy's name again? Uh, Meissner uh, Turris, brother of former Oriole Cesar Turris. Yeah, one of the one of those two will be at second. They have to be better than what we had. Like last year, our starting rotation after the injuries was was terrible. This year, we've got you know last year's NL Cy Young winner, Mark Burley and Josh Johnson to go with. Brandon Morrill, who was good last year, and I guess the five starter now is J.A. Happ, but he's still better than you know anybody we had last year in that spot. So they ought to be in the race. Yeah, that's a pretty solid rotation there. I mean, if J.A. Happ is your fifth best guy, you're not doing too bad. Yeah, and he was really our sixth best guy until you know yesterday. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, 
There you go. All right, so 90 wins. There was one person, there was one commenter on Camden Chat who believed preseason last year that the Orioles would win 90-plus games. His name was Dan O'Hare, and we all <laughs> laughed at him when he posted this in, like, last February. He posted and said he thought the Orioles would win 90 or more games. And I now call him the prophet of Birdland because, <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. Yeah. That would that would have, he 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 knew something man. That was uh I don't know I don't know if he was some kind of oracle and he knew something or if he just got really really lucky but <laughs> that was uh that was something that happened and I still kind of find it amazing. So he's predicting a world series this year go figure but <laughs> you know I can't say he's totally crazy cuz he was right last year. That's right yeah and there's a good team there. So maybe you'll find yourself in Dan O'Hareville up north as well, and up above 90 wins. It's, uh, yeah. it's pretty exciting to suddenly get to that level. I've got to say. Yeah, it is. It's it's like the first year that I felt that we really, you know, there there's always been hopes that you know if everything goes right. Well, this year not everything has to go right. You know, bad things can happen, and we should be able to overcome them. Well, I mean, if you can feel pretty confident about that, it's good to good to have some confidence going into the season for sure. It is, yeah, it is. It's so much nicer than the past. Thank you, thank you, Alex Andropoulos. He is a wizard. He is some kind of wizard. It's really remarkable. Yep, I'm I'm hopeful. I didn't know that he could make you know the win now trades because I didn't think it was in his DNA, but he did and. And nobody in baseball really makes those trades anymore right now because they want to hoard their guys. And That's well, true. He's uh, Anthopolis has pulled it off, so more power to him, I guess. Yeah, yep. he'll be my hero if we win. I can imagine he would be. You know, Dan Duquette was a hero in Baltimore coming out of nowhere and doing last year, but who knows if who knows if we'll keep doing it? But yeah, I mean, a year ago he was my hero just because he traded away. Uh, Wells, I didn't think it was him and his boss. For his but. next trick, he did something even more amazing. It's yeah. got to be pretty cool. <laughs> it is. So we're just about out of time here, and Tom knows as well as I do as a podcaster himself, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, for the, for you Cast listeners, this is actually going to be part one of a two-part Mega AL East preview podcast, but this is part one winding down to a close. So Tom... Thanks for coming on to the show. Hopefully I can get you back on. Maybe we can check in and see how we're both feeling about uh, in the middle of the season sometime when the Orioles are about to play the Blue Jays. And maybe, uh, well, hopefully we're both riding high on waves of optimism still as the season has gone along. Yeah, I think we will be. I think it's going to be a fun year. All right. So if anybody wants to follow you on Twitter, do you have a Twitter to plug? Uh, well, just the, the I'm just the, I run the Bluebird Banter, at Bluebird Banter. All right. Well, there you go. So if you want to follow Tom and get a little Blue Jays news fix, follow at Bluebird Banter, and you can read about the Blue Jays from Tom and the rest of his gang on BluebirdBanter.com. And, uh, well, that's all we've got here. So for Tom Dakers, I am Mark Brown. I'm bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and I am out. <laughs>